You're listening to the Two Minute Time Lord, 120 seconds of concentrated commentary, because we're all in a hurry. Hi, this is Chip Sutter, and you're listening to the Two Minute Time Lord podcast number 369 from the Gallifrey One Convention. I have all the feels. The closing ceremonies have just wrapped up. Galley has become a touchstone in my life as a Doctor Who fan, as well as just the place where I connect with so many people who are so important to me who I rarely see in person. So I leave Galley with a heavy heart, but also in the hope and expectation that I'll be back next year and the next year, and this family reunion keeps on going strong. Radio Free Scarrow has been kind enough to allow me to share the stage with them uh, three of the last four years when they do their convention opening live show. This year, I had the chance to talk a little bit about the 10th anniversary of the return of Doctor Who. I really appreciate the chance to try to help everybody in the audience feel pride in this show and this community of fandom. And uh, that's what I tried to do with this one. Uh, A couple of sight gags that you won't get until I get this on YouTube somewhere, if you're hearing this for the first time. I did, I confess, put an image of Mal Young on a milk carton, since he was involved with the first season of Doctor Who and then was gone. And when I describe what a certain someone was wearing at a school in America... That was, of course, a bow tie and a fez. That's everything you need to know about the Two Minute Time Lord segment that was part of Radio Free Scarrow 461, Radio Free Scarrow Behind the Magic. And, of course, you can find more episodes of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, which will come out at a faster clip now that I'm no longer worried about Galley, at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com and find me on social media. Look for numeral Two Minute Time Lord. Thanks, Radio Free Scarrow. Thank you, Gallifrey One. y'all doing? It's good to be home, isn't it? Uh, Less than a year and a half ago, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the world's longest-running science fiction TV show. I regret, though, that it was not continuously running. We call those years in between the wilderness years, when Doctor Who was kept alive only through novels and audio and such. But as Stephen said, next month we celebrate an equally important anniversary, because next month will have been the 10th anniversary of Doctor Who's regeneration. And I would like you, if you're an old school fan, to think back. Think back to all those years ago when, for the first time in so long, you were about to see new Doctor Who. Oh my God. Armageddon. <laughs> Maybe you were here on this continent and you had to wait for it to show up on CBC or the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, maybe you even had to wait for the DVDs to show up at Amazon. And remember when uh, Amazon US held back because Sci-Fi Channel was going to get it? Remember how upset we were? Or maybe you couldn't wait. Little bitty torrent file, three weeks early. Or maybe you were on a sofa in front of BBC One 
on premiere night, just as God intended. <laughs> and shortly, you heard this. And you said to yourself, oh my God, that's not Doctor Who, is it? That's not the Radiophonic Workshop. And then you saw this. Followed shortly by a restaurant scene in which our heroine cannot tell that her boyfriend has suddenly turned plastic. And you say to yourself, you are tempted to hide behind the sofa for an entirely different reason. Because the thing is, you wanted Doctor Who back, but you wanted it good. You wanted to be proud of it, and maybe you wanted it familiar. Even though there's a little issue there that television storytelling and audience preferences have really changed a lot since 1989 or even 1996. Maybe you were like me. You'd loved Doctor Who when it was on, but you'd sort of fallen away from it. You'd gotten out of the habit. You tuned in because of nostalgia, but you weren't sure that you were going to be able to buy into it anymore. And then you probably had a moment. Mine was just the very next week. Rose, watching the burning death of the earth. The doctor takes her hand. He takes her back in time. She walks out into the stillness and the quiet, and you suddenly hear just this one sound, a single baby's cry. And then the world explodes into color and motion and people. And Rose and you and I are reminded that we do not live on a dead world. We live on a live world full of motion and chaos and beauty. And I blinked back a tear and I realized that I had found my fandom. My fandom had found me again. Or maybe you didn't have any of those moments because it's been 10 years. <laughs> and a whole new generation of fans has come up and encountered so many things that we never encountered, and that makes me feel really bloody old. <laughs> the wilderness years. Not so long ago, people were freaking out over the gap between series 7A and 7B. <laughs> they haven't even been born yet. Stephen Moffat has said, and properly said, that the BBC is not going to be making as big a deal over the 10th anniversary because the more important anniversary happened two Novembers ago. He's right. But today, and on March 26th, I'd like to tip my hat to the women and men who overcame the derision and the skepticism of the BBC executives that Andrew talked about, as well as winning over a general audience that thought that Doctor Who was a joke. Jane Tranter. She was a closet science fiction fan who happened to be the head of drama at the BBC, and she kind of wanted Doctor Who to come back. She just needed a showrunner with some mojo. RTD had been pitching Doctor Who revivals for a while. They got together at a press launch in 2001, 
And their conversation was the spark that lit the fuse that gave us our show back less than four years later. Jane Trander, Russell T. Davis, executive producer Julie Gardner, executive producer Mal Young, and of course, Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. They made the general public care about Doctor Who again. They turned the not we into the we. And they laid the foundation that today gives us <laughs> Peter Capaldi, Jenna Coleman, Stephen Moffat. It's meant that we've had to share our fandom a little bit more. You might have noticed that Galley's gotten a little bigger. But if you're an American and you've walked into a Barnes & Noble or a Hot Topic, a Hot Topic, and seen Doctor Who merch, and it's given us the opportunity to make new connections with new fans, such as the one that I had a couple of years ago. I am working in an American middle school, and this small pack of preteen kids is, meeting, is coming toward me in a hallway. And one of them, for no apparent reason, is wearing <laughs> this 12-year-old girl and her friends are walking down the hall and I'm walking past and as we cross I say and here I am in my serious suit and tie I say bow ties are cool <laughs> and she beams so brightly I have to squint a grown-up got her a grown-up got Doctor Who I remember when only grown-ups got Doctor Who. <laughs> That's the kind of moment that has been given to us, not only by the people who make Doctor Who today, but, for, but also by the women and men who regenerated Doctor Who 10 years ago. Let's thank them. Happy birthday, happy 10th anniversary, Doctor Who. Chip Sutterth, everybody! Two-minute time, Lord!